Make your way to Romans chapter 12. We've been in a series going through Paul's letter to the church in, in Rome since August. And, and we've been slowly working our way, divided up into five parts. And, and last week began, we began the fifth part, which was our practice. Just what does it look like then after getting the, the doctrine, the theology, the identity aspects of Romans 1 through 11, that now Paul shifts gears and he becomes giving us this practical application of then what does that look like? How do we put what we've learned in Romans 1 through 11 into practice, into the Christian life? And so um, if, you're, if you're wondering too, following along and all that, we have an app you can download real quick and there's sermon notes in that. I typically try to stay within that, but I don't have them written down the same way in my notes. So if I don't catch them, then ask me later and we'll fill that blank in. But um, that also gives you the, the we know that we have that app, so if you're looking at your phone, we assume that you're following along on that. So, um, not that you would be doing otherwise. Just that's just the, it's the culture we live in. So, um, last week, kind of to kind of catch you up because it's pivotal to understand. Last week we talked about the the essence of Christian living and talked about how that Paul had described the Christian life as a living sacrifice, and and understanding what it means to let go of our life and give control to God, to present ourselves as a sacrifice for him, allowing him complete, total control over our life, which is what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And then today, as, as we get into verses 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12, we, we kind of get a, a picture of what does it look like, because that's the logical conclusion, right? If you're told that we need to do something, then the next question is, well, what does that look like? Most of us are, are wired to where when we're told to do something, we, we think about doing it, but we want to perform on some level. So then it begins, okay, you tell me to do this. You, you say, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Let go of your life. Then, well, what does that actually look like? And so today in verses 3 through 8, we kind of get a picture of what the Christian life looks like as we present ourselves as living sacrifice. So it's kind of the continuation of last week. And so if you will follow along, we're going to read verses three through eight of Romans chapter 12. And and in verse three, he says, for by grace, the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If you will pray with me as we ask the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, we pray God, we thank you that you've given us your word. God, that is useful in teaching us and shaping our lives. God, we just pray that today that we would be submissive to your spirit. God, that I would be submissive to your spirit in my speech and that everyone would be submissive to your spirit in their hearing and application. God, that our lives would be changed and transformed by your truth to bring glory to your name, to expand your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so what we, what we need to understand is we, from the, from the, the outset, we need to kind of clarify something that we're going to be assuming 
the whole time. One thing we always like to do is act to ask questions, but we also want to clarify a, a stand, a, a starting point. And today that starting point is that, that it's impossible to live the Christian life outside of the church. That, that right now there seems to be, in the, in the last few years, it seems more and more that, that we think that somehow the Christian life isn't tied to the church. And, and a lot of that is based on many churches abusing the power and the authority, and so people flee from that. But it's also this individualistic culture that we live in has shown us that you just be who you are. You don't have to be tied to anything else. But that's not how we live the Christian life. We're called to live in community. And that's what Paul, you can see plainly in 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5, that he says that, that we're part of a body. And, that, and so if we're part of a body, we can't function outside of that body. And so to live the Christian life first starts with an assumption and, and the, the, the standing point that, that it's to be lived within the church primarily. Yes, we go out from that, but we're always connected within a body and then that body then goes out and spreads and scatters as we preach the word. And so that's where we're coming from today. So everything that we focus on today is how do we live the Christian life within the body of Christ, within the church, that then propels the body of Christ into the culture, into our neighborhoods, into our relationships, to our places of work, to our homes. And, then, and that's how it then presents itself publicly. And so if we're going to live the Christian life within the body, the first question is, or, or the first thing we understand is we must have a proper understanding of ourself. That if we're going to live within the context of the church, that we need to have a proper understanding of who we are. And I want to do that by looking at verse 3, but I want to look at it in opposite order because I think it sets it up a little, a little better just for, for how we understand. So if you get to verse 3 again, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to his measure of faith that God has assigned. And what we see in that is two aspects of a proper understanding of ourself. And the second one that I want to look at first, and I know that, that might throw you off that we're going in opposite order, it's that, that if we're going to understand who we are, we have to be honest with ourselves about our gifting. And what, what I mean by that is that so many people, if you look at the, the Christian standard Bible, it says think sensibly instead of sober judgment. So understand properly who you are. And what the reason I want to talk about that verse is there's so many people in the church that think of their value far less than they actually are. That, that, that so many people within the body of Christ don't consider, they're not honest with their giftings or who they are, and therefore they do nothing because they don't realize the value and dignity that they have as an image bearer of God. R.C. Sproul said it this way, that our significance comes from God, and what God assigns is valuable. And so when we look at that, we see that we're gifted individually by God, and that's what gives us our greatness. So we have to be honest about ourselves, that, that if you think that you're not valuable enough to contribute, then you're not truly understanding who you are as a child of God. That we have to be honest. We have to realize that we all play an important role. Now, those, those roles might be different, but that doesn't mean that there's more value in some than others. We all function together. We have to be honest about that self. We have, to, we have to realize who we are and that even though our gifting might be different or in a less value as someone else with the same gift, it's still valuable because it was given by God's grace to us. 
The, the easiest way that I thought about this for myself when I was around this, we're part of a, a network, a global family um, called Acts 29. It's a network that plants churches, that plant churches, that plants churches worldwide. There are over 600 churches now. I think there's 20-something languages that are spoken in Acts 29 churches around the world every Lord's Day. And, and when I was thinking about understanding, being honest about our gift and not devaluing yourself, it, it made me think about Acts because it's a network that has tremendous preachers. I mean, sort of amazing men of God that are preaching and they're, they're, they're so much more gifted than I am. And if I'm not honest about who I am in Christ and my value being ascribed by the gift that I have been given, then I would feel more, less valuable because my gifting is not as dramatic as theirs. But that would be to say that God somehow isn't fair, isn't fair to me. But what happens so often is we in the church do the same thing. As we look around and see people that are gifted in a way that might not be the same as us or might be in a more magnitude. And so we think that we're not valuable instead of understanding that God has given us a gift. And that we're valuable because we're created in his image first. And so we can function. But we have to, that's why I say we have to be honest about ourselves. Because so many times we devalue ourselves. And so you have those people that devalue themselves. But on the other hand... You have the people that what? They think too highly, right? If there's one that says, I'm not worth anything, then you always have the person on the other hand that says, I'm f- worth far more than I am. And, 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 I, and I wanted to do this second because we talk about humility a lot, and I didn't want it to, to come across as we're just talking about being humble again. But that's the reality of what Paul says, right? That you should not think more highly than you ought to think. And so you have to then... Be honest about your gift. And when I say be honest about your gift and in you know, danger of thinking too much, you have to realize that it is a gift. That you did nothing to receive what you've been given. Therefore, you can't boast about it. We have to realize that all of our gifts are that, a gift. And a gift brings glory to the giver, not the recipient. That when you're giving something... The, the glory goes to the person who has given something. It doesn't go to the person who gets it, right? And, and we all understand that if we think about it. We, we all, when we get gifts, we look at that person and we, we give value to them. We, we're thankful for that. And so we should then, in light of God giving us a gift, understand that we've been given something and therefore we can't boast in that, but we can boast in Him. And that allows us then to, to come on and, and to, to navigate that, that weight of not thinking ourselves less valuable, but not thinking more valuable. To, to understand who we are, be secure in our identity in Christ. And so what we have to do is understand why do we do this? Why, why do we all the time misjudge our value or appropriate too much value to ourselves? And, and I would think as I was looking at this, to me, the, the biggest catalyst behind the, the arrogance idea of that or the being maybe too unaware of what our gifting is, is that we all in some way are looking at it through the lens of self-justification. That, that people want to feel valuable, loved, and accepted. And so everything that we do in our lives leads us to wanting to find value, love, and acceptance. And so many people, they don't take themselves as serious. They, they lower their value because if I'm, le- then it just it allows you then to just take what you can. I'm not as good as those other people, but really that's just self-justifying. You're saying, you know what? I'm just here. 
But on the other hand, if you're too arrogant, then you're trying to gain that value and love and acceptance by who you are, not by someone else. And so what we need to do then, if we're going to be honest about ourselves, both of our value because of what God has given us through his grace, then we should realize that it's only through the gospel that we can appropriately balance that. It's only through the gospel that we understand that we're valuable because we bear the image of God. That that we don't need relationships to give us value. We don't need jobs to give us value. We don't need any security that can be provided here to give us value. We're valued because of the image of God. And that is every person. That's why the church champions all people. Because all people bear the image of God. The image of God is not ascribed to someone at salvation. It's ascribed to someone at creation. But it's also through the gospel that we realize that we're actually accepted. Not because of anything that we did, but because of God's love for us. And then that acceptance in Christ, because of Christ, leads us to realize that we're loved because his display of love on the cross is far beyond anything that we could ever sustain or imagine or gain here. And so when we understand the gospel, that Christ lived the life that we couldn't live, that he died the death that we deserve, that God's wrath was poured out on him, yet he drank that cup for us and then clothed us in his righteousness, we realize that we're more valuable, accepted, and loved than we ever could be by anyone here. And that frees us to simply serve. That frees us to move into our neighborhoods and our community in the body of Christ here and effectively realize who we are. We're the image bearers of the one true God, and he has gifted us graciously. And then we need to understand then that those individual gifts benefit everyone else. Look, if you look at verses 4 and 5, you see this idea. In verses 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. I think this is probably Paul's favorite analogy of the church. It's the body of Christ. And so we have to understand that, that even though we're part of one body, those individual gifts benefit the whole body. Does that make sense? So we have different gifts. We're individualistic in our gifting, yet we benefit everyone. And that's where the Christian life has to be lived in community because, one, you can't influence the body with your gifting if you're not within the body. And there's so many people that try to just say, you know what, well, I'll add in worship when I can. That's bad on one side because then they never get the benefit of everyone else. But then they're also withholding their gift and their unique ability to influence those. Worship, I don't know if you are are like this, but, but when we worship, I'm encouraged by seeing other people worship. I'm encouraged by seeing the different postures that people have when they worship. And if you're not with the body, you don't get to edify each other through your individual giftings. And so that individual gift benefits everyone because everyone is understood, but it has to be in context with a gathering that's regular, organized, that's led. It's not just some chaotic little group. There's structure, there's organization, because we worship a God who is structured and organized, and therefore we work as a body that way. We have individual gifting that benefits everyone. And there's not another place that, that really celebrates that than the church more effectively. Each person has a function within the body of Christ, and if they're not within the body, then they're not functioning properly, individually and corporately. That's why it's important 
to be honest and humble about who we are because then we can actually benefit everyone else. So do you understand? You yourself think about, do you long? Do you understand that you're critical to the functioning of the body of Christ? That if you have submitted your life to him, that you're a critical, important part of the body of Christ. Do you understand that? Because when you understand that you're an important part, you realize the fact that not only does the individual gifts benefit all, but the diversity actually leads to unity. And that's something that our culture doesn't understand, how you can celebrate diversity yet be unified under a common goal. Because what happens now is we say that if you say that other people are different or diverse in their gifting, then they're not equal. But that's not what Scripture says, that we're all many but one. We're diverse, yet unified. It doesn't say that everyone has to have the same gifting because the same gifting doesn't mean equality in what we're talking about. It doesn't mean that we have to allow everyone to function in the same gift because if everyone has the same gift, then then some of that's not happening. So culture says that everyone must be equal to be unified. Everyone must be equal to have value and worth. And we're saying, no, absolutely not. We're all unique, yet we're all equal because we all bear the image of God. We all have dignity and worth because of God's created order within us. And so we can celebrate diversity and understand that that leads to unity. Or we can say it this way, that that all Christians are unique in their gifting, yet are unified in their expression of those gifts. That when all gifts uniquely diverse are working together, then the unified expression is to bring glory to God through preaching his gospel, that those who didn't deserve love were loved, that those who didn't deserve grace have experienced grace. It's okay for some people within the body not to do certain things. That doesn't mean that they're less valuable. It just means that they're uniquely gifted in a way that not everyone else is. And to function properly, we have to understand that the individual gifts benefit all and diversity leads to unity. And you see that in verse 5. So though we are many in one body in Christ, individually members of one another. If we're individually members of one another, we realize that even though we're unique, we're one. And that's something that, that the world doesn't understand. Is how can we celebrate differences, yet be unique, and still be united? We don't have to bring everyone to the same playing field. We have to understand that everyone starts with the image of God. And therefore, we begin to edify and build up each other through our individual giftings that unite us for a common goal, which is to bring glory to God. And then ultimately realize that our gifts are first for the body. And see, sometimes what, what I see that happens, and maybe this has been your, your experience in the church, is the church has been bad at times of using their gifts for everyone else but the body. That, that we think we need to serve those who are poor and needy, yet we forget those who are needy within the body. But our gifting is first for the body and then for the surrounding people. That we can't, and, and the way I, I say it this way is, as us, that we have a desire, Watershed has a desire to plant churches, to support churches, to plant. But if we can't support ourselves, if we can't figure out how to engage culture with the gospel, then we can't go tell someone else how to do it. That there has to be some level of understanding that our gifts are to build up each other, to work each other for the common goal, and then we can go 
share that and help with others. Now, does that mean that we don't do anything now? No, it means we support people that are doing it and we learn from them and we learn from what we're doing here. And then hopefully, eventually, we'll get to a level of maturity as a body where we can send out our own people to multiply what we're doing here in another context to bring the gospel to others who might not have heard it. And so we have to understand that the, the primary beneficiary of the gifting of God is the body first. And that's according to a grace given. We cannot build up the body apart from the Spirit of God. And that's, that's where we understand our gifting, is that, that when we look at the way the Spirit of God works within our lives, we realize that we can't build each other up using the gifts apart from the Spirit giving those gifts and apart from the Spirit allowing us and teaching us to mold and shape and develop those gifts to benefit each other. That we can't come in and say, well, thanks for the gift. Now I'm going to take this on my own. We can't build up apart from the Spirit of God working powerfully among us for one common goal. And see, that's where I've got a quote here again from R.C. Sproul. He says that what makes, what makes us different from other people or what makes me, he's speaking of himself, what makes me different from other people is not my greatness, but God's graciousness. And see, that's when we understand it properly. That when we, that's when we can truly realize who we are. Is we realize that what makes me unique and different is not that I'm great, but that God has been gracious to me and has gifted this to me. And then we can have freedom to work. Because if, we, if, our, if our value, if our uniqueness, if our gifting is not because of us, then we're going to be more free to just simply use it instead of try to, to prove why we have it. Because if it's our greatness that's given us this gift, then we're going to prove how we earned that. But if we realize it's God's grace that, that causes us to be different, then we realize that then we can celebrate our difference because it's God's grace that he's gifted each one of us uniquely. Then it can be for the benefit of the body. So in light of God's grace, we have to recognize the diverse gifts. And, and that makes me think of what Paul said in, in the first part of Romans 12. Remember what does he say in, in, in 12.1? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, what? By the mercies of God. He says, so remember the mercies of God. We talked about this last week. That to, to live our lives as living sacrifices, to look back at the mercy of God on us. And so now what he's saying in this is that we, it's, a, it's a measure of God's grace. And so look back on the grace of God when you understand that you're uniquely gifted and how you function within the body. The mercies of God give us our identity and how we're supposed to live. The grace of our God, of God upon us, gives us the catalyst to use that gift and celebrate our uniqueness. And then we have to understand that each gift within the body is purposeful. They all function, they're all purposeful, and, and Paul gives us a list of these gifts. This is an exhaustive list. I don't think that all the gifts are listed any part in Scripture. They're just a description of what happens. But what's interesting about here is that Paul shows us how they should be used to function the whole body because they're purposeful. That God, there's nothing that happens within God's calling on our life that doesn't serve a purpose to bring glory to his name. And so when we look at these gifts, there's ways that we should consider them and how they build that up, build the body up, and we go. So what, what does he say? He says, in prophecy, what? in proportion to our faith. 
And what we have to understand is we have to see that, that prophecy here is not prediction of the future. I think that I always grew up thinking that anytime you hear prophecy, it's what? I'm gonna, this is going to happen in this year, right? It's going to happen this. But what we have to realize is he's not talking about prediction of, the, of future events. He's talking about a revelation of God that leads to motivate and encourage members of the body. But what we have to be careful at is so many times people that want to speak a word over someone... They speak a prophecy over someone, but really they just perjure themselves because most of the time what people speak over someone else is outside of God's revealed word in Scripture. And so a prophecy, a revelation to encourage or motivate people can't be, without, can't be outside the scope of his revealed word to us. And so what Paul's talking about here to the, the Roman Christians, this is primarily what's happened in the Old Testament. And for us now, we can add in that New Testament, this new revelation of God, that we have as his truth. And so when we speak words to encourage, it's a revelation of God, but it's always bound by his scripture. And that there's not a word that comes from God that's, with outside, that's outside of his word. Otherwise, it's not from God. And that's why I say that many times when people try to exercise prophecy or speak over someone's word, they perjure themselves because they bear false witness because they're not in relation to what scripture says. That if anyone ever speaks something over someone that has them as the focus, that's not according to Scripture because we're not the focus of the story. Christ is. But he doesn't stop there. He says service, right? That, that you should serve as a servant, right? In service, in our serving. It's kind of practical, right? How do you serve? You serve, right? This is where you get the idea of deacon. And, and we're kind of in the process now, being in your church, as you grow, you start getting these roles that happen. And so deacons, traditionally, if you, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and deacons were not servants, they were board of directors. And that's not what they are. They're servants. So those who serve, then serve, build the body up. It's, it's looking at what needs to happen and functioning within that. And there are people that serve well, and there are people that aren't very good at serving. That doesn't mean that you have less value, just gifted differently. That doesn't mean that everyone can't serve at one time and in some function. But you can't push people to serve just because you think they have to serve. And there's so many churches that burn people out because they say you have to do this to serve the church, but they're not gifted in that. But it's not an excuse to be lazy, but understand that you're uniquely gifted. And then teaching, right? Look what he says, teaching, the one who... In his teaching, right? I love the, because almost all these are, if you're a teacher, then teach. It's, it's practical, but so many times we forget. The thing about teaching that we need to understand is that it's always founded upon Scripture. Again, it always goes back to Scripture. That if we're teaching, we have one thing to teach. That's the Word of God. And so the, the way I like to think of this is that, that all teach some, but only some teach all. So everyone teaches at some level. You, you can think of this in life. Like parents, you teach your children. Then teachers teach your children. And then more mature adults teach less mature adults. And it just keeps, everyone teaches some, but only some people teach all. And that doesn't give more value. It's a different gifting and a different measure. And it's within that local context. Teaching is an essential gift to the body functioning properly. And there are people that are gifted in teaching. They just naturally teach. And I will say this, 
that, that if you don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm bivocational. I teach PE. So some of you might say that you don't really teach. I don't. I play. All right. I'll be honest. I play all day long. I get to play. What are you going to play? Whatever I come up with. Right. It works. But but there's so many times and, and I'm going to push some some buttons right here. There's so many times that we've made up and there's people that are teachers that teach all the time that say they will not teach. But that's your gifting. We're not called to teach all the children. We're called to teach the body, too. And so if you're a gifted teacher and you're not teaching, you're hurting the body. That doesn't mean you have to do it all the time. That doesn't mean you have to be the only one. But if you're not willing to teach and you're a teacher, there's a problem. There's, there's a problem within that because you're saying, you know what, God, you've gifted me to do this, but I'm going to take some time off. I'm not saying that you always have, but, but it's frustrating when I hear people that are amazing teachers say, I don't want to teach. That's ridiculous, right? That's like a doctor saying he's not going to heal someone. And I'm not going to function as a doctor because I need some time. No, if you're a doctor, you, you fix people. If you're a teacher, you teach people. That doesn't mean you have to teach all, but you're going to be teaching at some level all the time. And then what do we see next? Exhortation, right? What is that? Motivating and encouraging. These are your favorite people in the body. And we need those people because so many times our lives default negative. That's, that's me. I talk to Lindsay all the time about it. She points it out all the time because I don't always see it. But I immediately focus on the negative aspect of every situation instead of the positive. So what do I need? I need someone to encourage and motivate me to look at the positive side of stuff because there's always a positive side. Why? Because we've been given grace. We've been given grace. And there's some of you in here, and I don't, I don't want to call people out right now because then they'll get mad at me. But there's some people here that are amazing encouragers and motivators. Thank you. There's just some people that that happens well with. It's greatly needed. Because we can easily become unmotivated or feel discouraged in a culture that's increasingly hostile to what we believe. And so the people that can exhort others, encourage and motivate are critical to the body functioning properly. And then he says what? In giving, and in the ESV it says the one who contributes. Christian standard, others saying giving, generosity. And so what I need you to understand is one, generosity or giving is not just money. And we've had a bad habit of that within the church to say, you know what? If you're going to give, you're going to give us your money. Well, that's part of worship, yes, but that's not giving. Giving is generously giving your time, energy, and your effort. And some people do that more. Some people are gifted in that. You just can give of yourself because you have time and you say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. But it has to be generously. It's not, and, and I think that's where you can come into the other aspects where it says that, that a cheerful giver, if you're a cheerful giver, you're going to be generous with your giving of your time, energy, your resources, your efforts, everything in that you're going to be. And we need those people. That doesn't mean that some that everyone doesn't give some, but there's some people that give more. They're generous in that because that's how they're gifted. You might have known people like that. You can probably think of someone that has a tremendous amount of resources and they're generous. Why? That's not from culture. Yeah, Francis Schaefer um, at one point was talking about how the gospel impacts life. And he used generosity to talk to Christian business people and say that what this would truly say 
and how this would truly shape business is that Christian business owners would take less profits so they could give more back. It's just generously giving because they could. And that's kind of radical, and everyone's like, wait a second. But, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about giving and generosity, that if you have that, then you can give it back. You can create that. Not everyone's gifted that way, but some people are. And if you're withholding and you know you're generous, then ask yourself why. Is it because you're trying to create your value? Well, your value is in the grace of God. So use your gifts well. It says, what's next? Leading. Leading with zeal, diligence. Okay, and so leading, that's typically, here's where people have messed up servants and leaders. Okay, so the way we're established as a church is that we will we'll have a, a deacons that serve and then we'll have elders that lead. And the leadership is setting the vision and direction, but they do it with diligence. They do it with zeal. They're constantly pushing towards it, constantly thinking in that realm in order to guide the body to go where we need to go, where we feel God's calling us to go to preach the gospel, to proclaim glory to his name. It's not selfish idealism, though. And see, that's the the side. If we have some that lead, others that come in and try to lead, if they're not gifted, but most of the time, those that do that, it's out of selfish idealism. Like, this is what I think the church should do. So I'm going to push myself into a leadership role. That's not leading for the body. That's you trying to ascribe value, worth to yourself instead of accepting who you are. So if you're a leader, then lead. But if you just want to push the direction of something in a way that you're selfishly desire, you're not leading, you're actually hurting. And then what? Mercy. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And think of, the the way I can think of this is that that mercy's best received when it's given cheerfully, right? Think about when someone's helped you. If you've been in a time of need and someone's helped you, their, their attitude was just as much a result of how you felt afterwards as them actually helping you, right? If, if you've been helped and someone's like kind of begrudgingly like, oh, we're going to do this, and they show up and they don't really have a good attitude and they're just like, oh, we're going to help you. We're going to bring you a meal, right? We, we do that. We bring meals to people, uh, babies or, or a lot. Of, we bring meal. If they show up and they're happy and excited to bring you a meal, it's great. And you're like, this is amazing. But if they show up, they're like, oh, well, you know, I signed up. And then everything got crazy, but I'd already signed up, so I'm going to do it anyways. You're like, oh, well, thanks, I guess. Right? It, it, you, it's, it's funny that you, I, but I think he has to say that. I think he has to say, do accident with cheerfulness. Like, don't sign up to do something if you're not going to want to do it. Because then you're not creating, or you're just causing awkwardness. Right? It is. I know I'm not the only one. The, oh, thanks for the food, I guess. Sorry that it caught like, you. end up apologizing to the person giving you something. So you end up showing mercy to that person because, you're like, oh, well, thanks, I guess. I appreciate that. And they're like, yeah, I signed up. Everything's crazy. I got to go. Like, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. But so many people do that, right? Mercy has to be done cheerfully. Everyone can show mercy. But not everyone is truly gifted to do that continually all the time. And what we have to understand as we look at this list of gifts is that all of these gifts come at a cost of your comfort and your schedule. That you're not going to find a gift within the body of Christ that doesn't cost you something. And so you have to ask yourself, are you willing to understand how you're gifted? Are you willing to rearrange your life to benefit the body of Christ? Because that's what we're called to do. 
But if you're teaching, it's going to take time out of your schedule. If you're serving, you're going to have to come early. You're going to have to stay late. But you're going to do that willingly because you know that you've been gifted in that. If you're giving, it's going to cost you something. Everything comes at a cost. And what we're saying is that even though you have a cost within your life of that gift, that he is far greater than anything that you could ever let go of. He is far more desirable. And he has gifted us graciously and it's to build up the body. And so that we all must use our gifts. We all must develop our gifts. You can develop your gifts. It's not a one-time thing. You can develop, you can understand how to do that more effectively and efficiently. So we must all use our gifts. We must all develop our gifts. If we're going to be effective in our calling as a body of Christ, which is to preach the gospel to those who have not heard it, to expand his kingdom, to bring glory to his name, and only through everyone functioning properly within their giftedness because of God's grace, will that actually happen? Will we actually see the mission of the church go in our communities, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, and people see that because they don't understand how diverse, gifted people can be united for one common goal. And it only happens when we use our gifts, develop them, and all build each other up so that we might then send each other out in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray.